Good morning, everybody. Just a heads up, I did not get slides made today, so there's no verses on the screen. If by any chance you don't have a Bible app on your phone or you don't have a physical Bible here, we do have like nine Bibles back there. Um, encourage you to grab one of those if you want to follow along. And if you're new here, definitely get one because you got to make sure we're not a cult or something. Make sure we're, we're, t- we're teaching what's in the Bible. So <clears throat> let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful that you found me when I was lost. That you found each one of us personally when we were lost. And by your Holy Spirit, you spoke to us through the word, through friends, through strangers. You taught us your name. You taught us who you are. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we were born again with brand new baby eyes, we saw you for the first time. But you're not through with us. We thank you you're not through with us. You have a plan. You have a mission. You're not done with this world. Help us to understand your mission. To understand what you've called us to do and how you've called us to live in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. A firefighter who avoids fires. A police officer who flees criminals. Salt without saltiness. It's kind of pointless, right? Kind of like a Christian who doesn't seek the lost or share Christ with the lost. Pointless. It's because, why is that? It's because this shows a deep identity issue going on. What did Jesus come to earth to do? What did Jesus save you for? What did he call you to do for him? Let's learn. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 43. John 1, 43. Let's read through verse 45. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him. We found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So there's two, brief, there's two parts to this brief story. What Jesus did and what Philip did. Both are instructive for us today. First, what Jesus did. It says in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip 
and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So by verse 43, John has already shown that Andrew and Peter and one unnamed disciple, possibly John, have already started following Jesus by the day before. And Jesus decides, hey, we need to go to Galilee. So Jesus, along with Andrew and Peter and maybe John, head to Galilee. What happens next is really what I want to focus on. It says, Jesus found Philip, a guy from Andrew and Peter's town called Bethsaida. And Jesus said to Philip, follow me. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus found Philip. It doesn't say he closed his eyes and said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a sinner by his toe, and he, and he found Philip. No. Jesus found Philip. He went looking, and he found what he was looking for. And what a concise summary of what Jesus came to earth to do. Find lost sinners in need of a Savior and might make disciples who believed he was that Savior. I remember when Jesus found me, like Mike was sharing at communion time. Jesus found me. I am so thankful to him for that. I would have never found him on my own. I'm so glad Jesus is the kind of God that he is. I know he sought me out and he found me. But what does Jesus do once he finds Philip? He gives Philip this powerful message, follow me. Maybe Philip liked the church summer campouts. Maybe he liked Andrew and Peter who were from his hometown and they had stuff in common. Maybe they sang songs together around the campfire, and Philip really liked the style of music the other disciples played. Maybe he liked the coffee they served. Maybe he didn't. That's all well and great, but what did Jesus say to Philip? What was Philip called to do? Jesus said to Philip, this is what I want you to do. Follow me. We don't know what Philip said in reply. Maybe Philip said, appreciate the invitation. Uh, what did you say your name was? And, uh, and by the way, who are you and where are you from? Maybe Jesus would have said, glad you asked. Let's grab lunch and I'll tell you. We don't know what they talked about, but that's okay. Because John gives us a hint. To understand the content of his command, follow me, and understand what kind of conversations might have followed that up, watch what Philip does in response. 1 verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip did two things in response. First, he copied Jesus' method and pursued his mission by finding an unbeliever to talk to about Jesus. And second, he shared what he learned about Jesus with that lost person. How did Philip copy Jesus? Jesus had found Philip. So Philip found Nathanael. 
He went searching and found someone who didn't yet believe in Jesus, and he shared what he had learned about Jesus with that lost person. And he invited him to start following Jesus. Pretty simple, right? It, it says Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, follow me. No, no. <laughs> Philip did not say that. Some of the folks on TV might say that. <laughs> but he said, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Wow, how did he know that? How did he know it? See, if Philip followed Jesus around the map for any length of time, John's narrative in verses 19 through 51 suggests that Philip would have seen Jesus find lost people, tell them to follow him, and then heard Jesus teach them about himself, and then send them out to tell other lost people about him. So Philip apparently said, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. He got involved with Jesus' mission and Jesus' method. He found Philip. He found Nathanael and said, we have found him on whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus. He didn't have to wait until the resurrection and the road to Emmaus to find out that the whole Bible was about Jesus. Apparently, somebody taught him. Apparently, Jesus took him to the advanced school of biblical interpretation first off. Here's my point, starting off with Philip's salvation story this morning. Can you see why a Christian today who doesn't find lost people and tell them about Jesus and who he is doesn't make sense at all? How that's like a firefighter that's afraid of hot stuff? In that kind of a situation, it shows you don't know why Jesus came to earth or what he told you to do with your life. He said, follow me. He taught you about himself at church gatherings. What's left for you to do from Philip's story since you believe in Jesus? This is super convicting for me. I I have to admit that preparing this message, I probably have not felt so great of like imposter syndrome as with this message. Um, But I'm definitely thankful for the cross of Christ that Jesus paid for my sins of omitting evangelism from my life. Now, I've, I've actually been asked to cover the whole of chapter one, but this story of Philip's conversion and discipleship really gives a great outline for chapter one. Because John really does two profound things in chapter 1. He outlines why Jesus came to the earth, which Philip's story gave us an example of, and what Jesus did once he got to the earth. Again, think of Philip's story. Why Jesus came to the earth is covered in what's called the prologue or the intro of John. That's verses 1 through 18, which we're going to look at. And then what Jesus did once he got here is covered in verses 19 through 51. That's the rest of the chapter. So let's check out why did Jesus come to earth in verses 1 through 18, the prologue. And what you're about to see when we read that is that 1 through 18 consists of the names of Jesus all connected by one continuous narrative or story. The names of Jesus are pointers to his divinity and his mission, 
And the narrative connecting those names makes sure that we interpret the names or titles the right way. So this is going to help with talking to cults like Jehovah's Witnesses. Because we can use the narrative to deal with the misinterpretation instead of needing to become Greek masters like Matt Mangum before we can help them to know Jesus. I mean, I want to be a Greek master, but... So let's read verses 1 through 18, answering the question, why did Jesus come here? And tracing the names and the connective narrative to guide us. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word. There's the first name of Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So that's some narrative that counters what Jehovah's Witnesses would say, who who say that we should interpret verse 2 as the word was with God and the word was a God, little g, that Jesus is actually a created being and not the eternal Son of God. But Jesus can't be the one through whom all things were made and be part of the all things that were made all at the same time. Jesus was there before creation happened. In the beginning of God, which was forever, because God never started. Let's keep going. In him, the word, was life. And the life and you could say this is one of Jesus' names too, since he later, later says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the life was the light of men. The light, so that's another name of Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So look what we have so far. The Word, who's with God and is God, is the one who created all, all the things that there are, and who is the life, and who is the light of men. The word, the life, and the light are all connected by the narrative, which guides the interpretation of those names. So let's keep going. There's a lot more narrative here connecting the names. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. The light, that's Jesus' name again. And it's in the middle of a narrative about John the Baptist that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, that's Jesus' name again. And then look at all the narrative that follows. Which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, is Jesus' name again, and look at the profound narrative that follows. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father. There's another Jesus' name. Knowing the word in verse 1 connects down here at verse 14 
via the connective tissue of the narrative, starts to open our mind to what verse 1 means when it says, the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was with God parallels the Son of God that came from the Father. The Son was with the Father in heaven and came down to earth. That's the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So he says, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Bingo. That's how we know that the title, the word, is referring to Jesus. The daisy chain of names connected by narrative leads all the way here. A equals B equals C, then A equals C. Also remember, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, right? (laughs) It's not his last name like Lee is my last name. Christ is a special title, which we'll see later in chapter 1, means Messiah. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So this verse brings everything together. The names and narrative so far show that the reason the word came to earth is to rescue sinners. But with this final verse, we also see that an even more fundamental, more ultimate reason drove the word to come to earth, to become flesh. And this is it, to reveal the invisible God. Look at verse 18 again. No one has ever seen God. That's the invisible part. The only God who is at the Father's side. Who's the only God who is at the Father's side? It's the word who was God It is also the only Son from the Father in verse 14, which is Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus come to earth to do? The last five words. He has made him, the Father, known. That's the God, that's the God, that's God the Son revealing God the Father. So we asked at the start, why did Jesus come to earth? In verses 1 through 18, have answered that to rescue sinners and reveal the Father. That's it. So if that's why Jesus came, what does that mean for you and me as his followers? If your leader came to you, he came to rescue the lost sinners of the world and reveal the Father, what are you and I doing with our life? Are you following him in that mission? It's a good question, right? It's a painful question for many modern Christians like me. How about you? Before we move on to verses 19 through 51, let's reflect on verses 1 through 18 to briefly see some of the major themes of this section centered around some of the names of Jesus and the narrative that we find there. Jesus rescues sinners because Jesus is the life in verse 4. Jesus is the light of men and the true light, verses 5 and verses nine, verse 9. Whoever is born of God and believes in Jesus becomes a child of God, verses 12 through 13. 
And Jesus reveals the Father because Jesus is the divine word with God from eternity and is God and the only Son who came from the Father. And he makes the Father known. Verses 1 through 18 show that. So as we study John over the coming weeks, these themes of Jesus' deity, faith in Jesus, and the life that we have through him will come up over and over and over. Jesus is the source of life. He is our life. Jesus is our light of knowledge. And the true light over against false light that's really just darkness and blindness. These themes will pop up over and over again. Okay, so we've seen why Jesus came to the earth. Now let's look at what he did once he got here in verses 19 through 51. This is the more nitty-gritty ministry section. This is where we're, we're going to see Jesus and his followers actually doing ministry. And there's a lot to learn here, and we'll only be able to scratch the surface of the edge of the outskirts of everything. But keep this in mind as we read, that we're going to learn four ministry mindsets that Jesus and his co-ministers, his disciples, what they had. And from John the Baptist and some of the 12 disciples and also Jesus, that's where we're going to learn these mindsets. And since they're mindsets, remember, they're not what to do in step-by-step fashion. They're what to be thinking about when you're approaching evangelism and doing evangelism. So not a step-by-step per se, but the big picture strategy map. Here's the first ministry mindset we see starting in verse 19. It's not about you. You witness to the grace and truth of another, not yourself. It's not about you. This is exactly how John the Baptist practiced witnessing for Christ in John 1, verses 19 through 28. There he vehemently warred against the spotlight to an almost humorous extent. (laughs) Check it out. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. In other words, I am not the droid you should be looking for. (laughs) Apparently, John was skilled at deflecting any and all attention away from himself as a witness of Christ. And that's what we got to be like too. In 19 through 23, we see John only defines his identity by inverse reference to Jesus. Who are you, John? I'm the non-Christ, non-Elijah, non-Moses Bible teacher. (laughs) Come as a voice crying in the wilderness, amplifying the message from heaven. Come to tell you about Christ but I am absolutely, categorically not the Christ. And it's Christ who I want to get your attention. It's Christ that I want you to be curious about. It's Christ alone that your souls need to see and know. And that has to be our heart as we do evangelism, 
as we witness for Christ here in Colorado Springs. Because it's not about you, Hope Chapel. But witnessing is not only not about you. Here's the second evangelism mindset in the text. Gracious confrontation. Graciously confronting the lost with the worth, the superiority, and authority of Jesus when they oppose him. That's how John the Baptist approached witnessing for Christ. Pick it back up in verses 24 through 28. Now they, the priests and Levites from Jerusalem, had, had been sent from the Pharisees. Pause for a second. Remember, the Pharisees were vicious enemies of grace and opposed John the Baptist. But look at how he responds to them in verse 25. They asked him, Why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? In other words, what gives you the authority to baptize since you're nobody important? Verses 26 to 27. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So in verses 26 through 27, John delivers a gracious confrontation to the tools that were those people sent by the Pharisees. He says, yes, I'm baptizing. Yes, I'm not an important person. No, I do not have any authority in myself. But know this, I'm here to introduce you to someone who is important, to someone who does have authority, to someone who is superior to me and to you. He is the most important person sent by God that this world has ever not seen. And you religious Pharisees, supposedly closer to God than anyone else, you don't know him. And that's what you call a gracious confrontation. Talk about gutsy. John goes on, and I'll tell you just how worthy of honor and just how high on the ladder of authority the one I serve is. He's so high, I shouldn't be allowed to touch even his dusty sandal strap. He's so high, I shouldn't be allowed to be his servant. But he's so gracious and kind to you that he made me a servant and sent me to you. So notice what John did. When the Pharisees ungraciously confronted John, seeking to shut down his ministry, quiet his voice, cancel the word of God he was proclaiming, remove it from the public record, and seeking to strip John's platform from Jewish society, John countered their sinful confrontation with a gracious and holy one that exalted Jesus. And that's what we're we're required to do today. This world is warring against the Lord and against his witnesses. And that means you should prepare to be ungraciously and sinfully confronted when you bear witness to Jesus. But just like John the Baptist experienced, that's, that's what we should expect. But when that happens, our text would say, be ready to counter it with a gracious confrontation. Point them to Jesus. That's the one that they're really against. It's not about you. The mindset principles we've seen so far. First, it's not about you. Second, graciously confront sinners with the truth of Jesus, even if they're not nice. 
And here's the third mindset, mindset principle. The goal is to teach them Jesus' name. This is also what John the Baptist did. Look at verses 29 to 34. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this, this Jesus, is the Son of God. Now this is likely some time after John had baptized Jesus as recorded in the other New Testament Gospels. Notice what John says. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, in verse 29, and this is the Son of God, in verse 34. Lamb of God and Son of God are two names or titles of Jesus that are loaded to the max with biblical meaning. These names tell who Jesus is and why he came by condensing massive amounts of scripture and redemptive history inside of them. And that's a way of approaching evangelism, isn't it, guys? The name or names of Jesus. Look at all the names or nickname or, or titles of Jesus in just John 1 alone. The Word, the Life, the Light, the Testimony of John, the True Light, the Only Son from the Father, the Christ, the Messiah, the Only God who is at the Father's side, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the One who comes after John, the One who baptizes... <coughs> with the Holy Spirit, the point of the Old Testament, the King of Israel, and the Son of Man. So here we see the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, master architecting this gospel to not only help you to know, receive, and believe in who Jesus is, but also to equip you to share who Jesus is with the lost. Now check this out. John the Baptist not only teaches the lost Jesus' name. He also adds a personal story of how God showed him and how he came to know that Jesus' name was true. And that's found in verses 30 through 33. So although John's story is personally and historically unique, the principle behind his story is not. Here's the takeaway. Part of witnessing for Christ is teaching people the names or titles of Jesus that reveal, the, reveal his attributes. They reveal what he's done and who he is. And part of how scripture advises us to do that is to nest those truths in the personal and unique stories that each of us have for how God showed us the truth about who Jesus is and how we came to know that, that his names were true. And that's a, that's a mindset principle, not a prescriptive step of how to actually go about evangelism. All of these principles ought to be at play when we're evangelizing. But how you execute them is up to you, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and the need of a lost person you're with. 
Don't get condemned here. Your story of learning Jesus' names and that they are true is just one more way of thinking about teaching people Jesus' name. So to sum up the three evangelism mindsets so far, first, it's not about you. Second, it's about gracious confrontation. Third, it's about teaching the lost Jesus' name. Finally, it's about making disciples who can make other disciples of Jesus. See this chain of witnesses called the church begin to form in John 1, verses 35 to 51. This is going to be a long section. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Philip said to him, Come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If there were more time, I would cover this last section of John with greater depth. But for the purposes of today's message, notice how John the Baptist, Jesus, and the brand new baby Christian disciples made disciples that would then make other disciples. John the Baptist told Andrew, and perhaps John, who wrote this gospel, Look, there goes your salvation. And they ran up to Jesus, calling him rabbi, the generic word for teacher. But after they had hung out with Jesus a while, Andrew ran to Peter and said, We found the Messiah. So Andrew's knowledge of Jesus' name had leveled up almost overnight. And that's how Andrew literally brought Peter to Jesus. 
So as far as mere human witnesses go, that's a chain from John the Baptist to Andrew to Peter. Now, this next couple of scenes is super profound as well. Jesus goes and finds Philip and says, follow me. And then Philip, following Jesus' example, goes and finds Nathanael. Philip doesn't have to convince Nathanael. Jesus took care of that. Philip only had to point Nathanael to Jesus. How did Philip handle objections? He just said, come and see for yourself. You don't have to believe me. Listen to Jesus, and let's see what happens from there, Nathaniel. It was Jesus who showed Nathaniel that he was the fulfillment of Scripture by first performing a sign and, pro- and then proclaiming himself through Scripture, saying in verse 50, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus says, signs are easy. Fulfilling scripture, priceless. Jesus takes Nathanael to Genesis and the story of Jacob when he fell asleep and God gave him a dream of a stairway to heaven. No, not that song. Jesus said, Nathanael, I'm that stairway. I connect heaven and earth. That sounds like the first part of John. Jesus teaches Nathaniel his own name from scripture. There's got to be a lesson for us in there somewhere, right? Making disciples who can make disciples is about bringing people to Jesus through scripture so that they can learn who Jesus is, believe in him, and then learn to share him with others. If each of us found one lost person a month and shared Jesus, and only one of the 12 people believed that whole year, or if we worked with one person for 12 months in a row and they believed in Jesus and became a disciple, our church would double in size in one year. It's not all about numbers, but It would be nice if more people got saved. (laughs) If our 2x bigger church continued to bring in one more disciple per year per person, the results would be exponential. So don't be a firefighter who avoids fires, a police officer who flees criminals, salt without saltiness. You are his witness. Remember that Jesus came to the earth to rescue sinners and reveal the Father and join him as a witness. Remember that in evangelism, it's not about you. It's about gracious confrontation, teaching people Jesus' names, and making disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Light of the world. Light of the world. Light of the world. You shine upon us. And because you do, because you have opened our eyes to let our eyes see true light, true life, the word who rescues us from our sins, 
and reveals our Heavenly Father to us, making us His children. Because you have done these things, we are yours. Because we are yours, because you are our leader, because you are our Savior, our God, who loves us, when you say, follow me, help us to repent, Lord, of not following you, of coming for the coffee, the music, the, the, the hangouts, the entertainment, but not coming to do what you say. I know I'm the worst at this, God. I am the worst. Help us, Lord, to turn our eyes to you and to turn other people's eyes to you, to make it our life's goal, our breathing in and out, to learn about you and then to share you with other people who don't know you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.